we've been doing a series that uh, probably 90% of the churches in America are doing it because pastors are not very creative. And so we decided we would take advantage of the year 2020, and we're kicking the year off talking about having a 2020 vision for your life. And we're talking about different aspects of your life. We, we talked about the importance last week of having a purpose for your life and, and how we need to have that thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. And we broke down what vision was and talked about the power of vision. And really what we're doing throughout this series is just taking some random topics. We, we kind of diversify. Sometimes we're going through a book of the Bible. Sometimes we take one subject and we just hammer it home throughout the series. And, and then sometimes we just do a series like this where I want to touch on individual subjects because I don't feel like they know necessarily need a whole series around them at this time in the stage of our life of the church. And today I want to talk to you on a subject that every single one of us can relate to today. Even if you're single, you can relate to it because there will come a time in your life when you're not single, hopefully. (laughs) Naming it and claiming it over there, baby. Naming it and claiming it. I want to talk to you about how to have a 2020 vision for your marriage. I read some stats this week that really kind of blew my mind in the Huffington Post. Let me show you some of these. 20% of married couples would divorce today if they didn't feel like it would ruin them financially. 20%. Can I be honest with you? Yeah, I think that's probably a little bit higher than that. 20% were willing to be honest in this survey. 45% of people said they are no longer in love with their spouse. 45%. 25% of married people wish they would have married somebody else. 30% of married people. This one kind of sort of shocked me just because it hits so close to home as far as the um, timeline there. 30% of married people said they've thought about divorce at least one time in the last 30 days. At least once in the last 30 days, the thought of divorce, the big D, and I don't mean Dallas, has went through your mind. 41% of marriages, both spouses admit to infidelity, whether it was physical or emotional. 41% of marriages. Men are pigs. So 74% of men say they would have an affair if they knew they would never get caught. 74%. All you ladies, look at the men and shake your head in shame. Now, ladies, you didn't do much better. 68% of women, 68% of women said they'd have an affair if they knew they would not get caught. The reality of the situation is marriage is in trouble. The reality of the situation is the numbers do not lie. And there's no secret. Let me educate you on something in case you did not know it. I like to give you some earth-shattering news every Sunday that you never knew, so let me educate you today. And let me blow your mind with something that you've probably never thought about. How about this? Marriage is hard. Do you know that? Two different people coming together, living under one roof. One was raised this way and one was raised this way. And one did things this way and one did things this way. Then you add kids to the mix and one was used to raising kids this way or they were raised this way and another one was raised this way. Two different personalities coming together and having to get along. Really doesn't even make a lot of sense on paper. Marriage is hard. There's probably not many people in here, even if you're on your first marriage, who can't look at the mirror and say, man, I have screwed up some things in my marriage. Gary Lamb, king of screwing up some things in his marriage. I get it. I've been there, done that. Got the battle scars to prove it. And I've now been in full-time ministry. I did a funeral this week for a 17-year-old girl, and the mother asked me, which kind of made me feel good, She said, you seem so young. I'm 43 now. I don't hear that very often. She said, you seem so young. Have you done a lot of funerals in your life? I said, well, I pastor a church, or I have pastored for the last 20 years 
bunch of addicts and junkies. So normally they're overdoses, and this is a rare situation to this one, but I think I can get through it. Oh, okay. But I have 23 years of ministry. I have literally talked to thousands of couples about their marriage. I've done counseling sessions. I've done two-minute lobby meetings. I've been stopped in the store so the run the gamut of whatever can happen and over and over and over all the various reasons for people having marital problems. It can really be summed up in two words. Broken promises. Broken promises. They promised to be honest and they weren't. They promised to be faithful and they weren't. They promised to stay clean and they weren't. They promised to grow and better themselves. They didn't. They almost went in reverse. Some of you were really naive. And you thought that once you said, I do, and they said, I do, they would change. Here's your sign. Not being very encouraging today. It's not my job to be encouraging. I want you to see the severity of what I'm talking about today. If you thought you were going to change someone or they were going to change just because they got married, you're going to be headed down the broken promises rule. And you're the one who broke the promise to yourself in that situation. You lied to yourself. They promised for better or for worse. And now that it's worse, they bailed. They promised a life of adventure, and now it's routine. Let's be honest. Nobody gets married thinking they're going to end up in a stale marriage. I won't even use the word bad marriage. But nobody gets married thinking they're going to fall into this routine of boring unadventurous, go through the motions, become roommates with the person that at one time you were passionately in love with or you wouldn't have married them to begin with. No matter what the marital problems are today, financial, sexual, whatever they are, they can be summed up in broken promises. I had a guy tell me, he said, man, I was promised great sex. I said, you were like she made a promise to you of that? Like, man, that's a whole nother level. Like she said, I like she looked at you and said, I promise you, if we get married, great sex. Well, I mean, we had great sex before we got married. And he said something made me laugh because I never thought about it. He said, now our sex life is like a unicorn. I said, huh? He said, it sounds really cool, but it doesn't exist. I said, oh. Broken promises. I can't believe he said sex in church. We're gonna say it a lot today. There's no greater area in many of our lives where we can change our lives or where we need to get that 2020 vision for our lives like the relationships that we are in. If you want your marriage to stand the test of time, you need to accept some reality. Marriage is hard. Marriage is work. Marriage is worth it. If you think your marriage is too far gone, you're wrong. But what about them? We're going to talk about that later. What about them? But if you're going to get to the stage in your life where you have the type of marriage that you want to have and you don't want to deal with the consequences of divorce, and listen to me, I am not one of those pastors who think divorce is the immortal sin and God's going to curse you if you get divorced. I understand sometimes things do not work. But as someone who is divorced, I want to tell you, you want to be able to look yourself in the mirror and know that you did every single thing you could to make that work. Nobody should have to deal with the heartache of divorce. Well, our divorce is so simple, it's never simple. It's heartbreaking. You made a commitment to someone, and it falls apart, it ruins, it destroys kids, it, it, it hurts, and you deal with the consequences of it for years to come. And sometimes those can be avoided. A lot of times, let's rephrase that, a lot of times, many times, the majority of the time, those things can get back to like they should be if we can just begin to work on the broken promise area. 
Because once the promises begin to start being broken, the hurt begins to happen and the resentment begins to happen and the wall begins to go up. But you've got to go back to that time when the promises weren't broken. You say, but they're broken now. And I get it. And both sides can say they've broken promises. Marriage is work. It's hard. I struggled with this message this week. I even warned Christine on Monday, got some bad news for you. I said, what's that? I said, preaching on marriage Sunday. Instantly, it's like, oh, God. Because what happens is we preach on marriage, our marriage gets attacked. And the house gets crazy. And we prayed about it, and we were good. And we actually did really good this week, and she didn't threaten to kill me. And I think the devil knew he couldn't get through us through our marriage, so he got through us through these demonic little things called our children. And like they were from the pits of hell this week. All 733 of them. Like it's so bad that, you know, we very rarely had the family meeting. And we're having the lamb family meeting when we get home today. Get everybody on the same page. Sometimes you got to reset. But man, I wanted to talk to you today about dating your spouse and keep it real funny. And I want to talk to you about having great sex because, man, like it or not, I know some of you, that's only a unicorn for you, but, man, having great sex is pretty important for your marriage. And I wanted to talk to you all the things that just kept coming back to my mind and keeping it light and keeping it fun because it's a tense subject. But my mind kept coming back to this broken promise thing. I, I really believe there's no greater cure for a healthy relationship as there is becoming focused on learning to do, don't miss this, learning to do what we actually intended to do. I think in almost every marriage, every relationship, the biggest challenge falls or the biggest broken promises fall between I intended to do this, but I actually did this. Nobody walks into a marriage, I hope to God, nobody walks into a marriage and says, you know what, I'm just going to be a jerk. I'm going to be a loser. I'm getting married and I want to be the biggest loser husband the world has ever known. That's my goal. Dad said, if you're going to do something, be the best at it. I'm a great loser. Nobody goes into a marriage and says, hey, I'm going to be difficult to live with. We all walk into a marriage thinking, man, I am going to be the best husband ever. I am going to be the best wife ever. We almost get a little bit cocky and a little bit arrogant and we think to ourselves, man, I'm going to show everyone else how to have that great marriage. I'm going to show everyone who told me this relationship was doomed or I shouldn't marry this person. I'm going to prove it wrong to them. And so many times we stay in a marriage just because we're simply stubborn we white-knuckle it, and we're going to prove everyone wrong, and I think it's great that you stay in there, but what would happen if we stuck in there intentionally, moving from I intend to do this to I'm actually going to do this? The difference between what we intend to do and what we actually do is so many times is where the tension falls in our relationships. The things we intended to do, but we didn't do. For example, Christine, I can't even remember. I'm not even trying to put you on the spot. I meant to put it in my notes. The other night when I was sound asleep, completely asleep, and I woke up, and you had just almost killed one of our kids, and I said, oh, you almost killed one of our kids, and then somehow in the midst of me being asleep, it went from, and the thing I had done, what, what, what I had done when you were not gone? I had not done something. What was it? Oh, call Doug Knight. That's, dang you, Doug Knight. My wife went out of town. She said, could you do me a favor while I'm gone? Of course. She said, could you call Doug Knight to hang these cabinets up over our washer and dryer? I said, of course. When I said, of course, here was the deal. I had every intention of calling Doug Knight. I like Doug Knight. I enjoy hanging out with Doug Knight. 
I love the most about Doug Knight that Doug Knight realizes that I cannot fix anything. So when he comes over to the house, he doesn't expect me to fix anything. He just says, get out of the way and let me do this. Love it. So I had no malice in my heart not to call Doug Knight. She was out of town for 10 days with work. The 10 days she was out of town fell on the time that the kids were out of school. I had all kinds of events coming up, so I'm juggling, bam, 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 bam. Kids are out of school. Older kids, you can leave at home, but you can't leave them home with the four-year-old because the four-year-old is possessed by a demon if we're not there. So you can't leave them. So I'm trying to do everything, and I got busy and all this stuff, and I forgot to call Doug Knight. Now, my logic in the situation was for 10 days, I fed the kids, I bathed the kids, I kept up with the kids. No kids died. I put on a big New Year's Eve party, put on a wrestling show, uh, pulled off all the things I had to pull off, and man, mm, I'm super dad. My wife didn't care that the kids got fed. She didn't care. She said they're old enough to feed themselves except for the four-year-old. She did not care that the house was clean when she got home because it wasn't clean to her standards. All the men said amen. She was mad because the one thing she asked me to do, I didn't do. My logic was, sorry, I intended to do that. It's called a broken promise. I didn't do it. It was important to her. That led to, let me tell you how intense and how important this is. I don't say this in a making fun of way. I say it to give you the reality of the frustration that comes from I intend to and I do. Because i got to be real, real honest with you. I see my side of the story. It's my side of the story. It's awesome. I intended to. You should know my heart in the matter. But after going to counseling this week together, that's how intense the situation became. I see her side of the story. It was important to her. It was something she wanted done. Guess what? We now have cabinets in our laundry room, thanks to Doug Knight. Yeah. Yeah. That divide between I intend to and I do, it's a broken promise. She was frustrated about it. And I said all that lighthearted and kind of joking, but the fact of the matter is, man, intending to isn't doing Another thing in our house that's very important to my wife, she doesn't have a lot of rules. She pretty much does everything in our home. Except for one thing, do not leave your dirty dishes in the sink. There's a dishwasher right next to it. I have this spiritual gift of leaving my dishes in the sink. I intend to do them. I justify not doing them. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't want to wake the house up by washing dishes. When I get home, I'm going to do them. But I get home, and then I'm thinking about other things, and I forget to do them. Yesterday, about midday, I was hungry. I made some stuff. I felt like the cheese or whatever it was was kind of stuck to the side. It needed to soak. It needed to soak. I put it in the sink for it to soak. I intended to go back and do it. I intended to go back and do it before she saw it. I did not, not my fault that she got up from what she was doing and went to the kitchen and saw it in the sink. She asked for one thing, and I couldn't do it. I intended to do it, but intentions and actions are very, very, very different things. I intended to do it. I was going to do it. I was thinking about doing it. I was planning on doing it, but I didn't. We intend to do a lot of stuff, but we don't follow through. And I had this thought this week, and I wrote it down. I said, isn't it interesting that we tend to judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. I, I, I want her to judge me by my intentions, but I'll judge anybody that actions. I tell my kids to do something or someone out here to do something or wherever in my place of business to do something and they don't do it, I'm frustrated with them. I think to myself, don't I get bonus points because I intended to do it? The reality is we're responsible for our actions. Don't miss this. 
when it comes to your marriage, you're responsible for your actions. Not your spouse's actions. You know what you tell your kids, two wrongs don't make a right? We're responsible for our actions and how we handle ourselves. I want to talk to you today about closing the gap between our good intentions and our bad intentions. It's not going to be the deepest sermon you've ever heard, but it's going to be one of the most practical sermons you've ever heard. And I'm telling you today, if you're in a relationship, it will change your life. If you're not in a relationship, you need to take notes because you will be in a relationship one day, and relationships are hard. Now, here's the deal. These principles are not hard to do. It just simply takes us putting some things into action. We're going to hang out today in the Song of Solomon. It's one of my favorite books in all the Bible. I've preached on it many times here. At its core, Song of Solomon is a love story. It's a love story. It's the love story of a shepherd and his lady. People say it's a type of our love between us and God. I buy that. I get that. But in its practicality and at the, the most simple element, it's a shepherd and the woman he's in love with. It's an awesome story. I've preached on it many times. The love these, the, these guys have is amazing as you read it, man. They date each other, and they compliment each other, and they have some crazy good sex. I mean, cr- like that's in the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E is the book for me. Bam, chicken, wow, wow, brown, chicken, brown, cow, all up in here in the Song of Solomon. Hence why it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I mean, they do kinky things. I'm going to pray. And by the way, let me go ahead and tell you this will be your, your, your predated disclaimer. I should have done this at the beginning of service. There's a lot of kinky things in the Song of Solomon. I'm going to talk about those kinky things today. If your child is in here today, we have a children's area next door. If you do not want to hear them, hear about the kinkiness of the Song of Solomon, do not come up to me afterwards. We have an awesome kids area next door. Did I mention we have a kids area next door? Okay, good. Disclaimer out of the way. Let's get it on. As you read the story, they had three simple principles that they put into place in their marriage. And these three simple principles, to me, allowed them to move from broken promises, allowed them to move from a place of good intentions to a place of an amazing relationship because some things were put into action. Here's the first principle if you want to put your marriage back to where it should be. If you think something good, say it. If you think something good, so I told you we're going to keep it simple today. It's super simple, but it's hard to do. There's power in this, if you think something good in your relationship, guess what we're going to do? We are going to say it. The Bible says this in Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. You can build somebody up with your tongue. You can make somebody feel invincible with your tongue. Or you can literally destroy someone with the words that come out of your mouth. This is probably the most powerful weapon that we have. The power of life and death. Solomon said there's power in the tongue. There's power of life. There's power of death. If you want to have a life-giving marriage, you've got to speak. Don't miss this today. You've got to speak life-giving words. There's power in our words. If we were to be honest today, most of us do a really poor job of building our mate, our spouse, the person we're in a relationship with up. We do a really good job the first year. We do a really good job the first few months. We do a really good job when we're trying to get the third base and home plate. Then we get complacent and comfortable and it doesn't happen anymore. Then we move into a stage where we do a great job of tearing down. We love to point out everything that those people do wrong. Didn't call Doug Knight. Just saying. The problem is when all anyone hears is criticism, 
what they're doing wrong, only negative things. You're seeping poison into your relationship. Anybody that knows anything about me knows I don't know anything at all about construction. Let me stress to you what that means. I know nothing about construction. You think I say this to be funny. Christine, when you and I met, did I have any tools? Two tools. Screwdrivers. I didn't even know they were called flatheads and Phillips head. I called it a plus screwdriver and a minus screwdriver. <laughs> I don't even think they were mine. I think Doug Knight or Dave Clark left them at my house one time, and I put them in a drawer. And I used to use the, 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 the plus screwdriver to mash my steaks, holes in it where I could get marinade in it. Just being honest with you. I used a negative screwdriver to pry lids off stuff that I couldn't get open. I can't build anything. I don't want to build anything. I don't know how to build anything. But I can tear some stuff up. Boy, I can jerk a wall down. I can put a hole in something. I don't know if you walked in there and saw the sheetrock patches everywhere. I probably put every one of those holes in the place and we're trying to get them fixed now. I can tear stuff up. Anybody can tear down. And what we do in our marriages, we tear down and we very rarely build up. And the way we overcome that is every time you think about something positive, we're going to say what it is we think about positive. Do not rob your spouse of the blessing of speaking truth into their life. Set it free. Well, they just ought to know. No, you ought to just say it. I mean, say it. We're going to spray it. We're going to text it. Listen, I, people are like, if you really love someone, you don't put it on Facebook. Shut the H. Put it on Facebook. Let everybody know. My goodness, whatever it takes. Every time you think of something good, bless them by saying it. But they don't do it to me. We're not talking about them. Exactly, whatever that was back there. Man, we're going to be a blessing to people. What many of us do, you know what we're, we're really guilty of? I used to be so guilty of this. I would tell everyone else how great my wife was. Except my wife. She should just know. Christine's amazing. She puts up with me. Who puts up with me? Blah, 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 blah. Then I'd come home and be like, man, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Just tear down. We're going to get the Song of Solomon now. Let me tell you something. The dude in the Song of Solomon, the shepherd boy, is a pimp. He is the man. His lady loved him. She wanted him. They were passionate. And this dude was the master complimenter. He knew how to lay it on and lay it on thick. She never had to wonder where she stood with him because he told her, where she stood with him. He never thinks something good. He always says something good. Huge difference. When you think of something good, say it. I mean, we're just going to hang out. This is just one chapter. I could do this one point all day long. We're going to hang out in chapter 7. I'm just going to read some verses verse by verse from you. And I want to see you to see how the shepherd boy is talking to his woman. And let me tell you something, it actually seems as he's talking to her, if you read the passage of Scripture, that she's dancing for him. Good God Almighty. Like, when you're talking so much wisdom into your wife and so much truth into your spouse, they are dancing for you. That's a good thing. This dude has game. He, he's complimenting her, and he starts just at one part of her body, at her feet, and just begins to work herself. Look what he says. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Every time I read that, I picture the guy in Christmas story when he gets the leg lamp. <laughs> He's so enamored with it. I mean, Solomon's like, look at your feet. You've got to understand, that was a big deal. Everybody wore sandals back then. It was dirt roads and, and, and rocks. And man, some people had some nappy feet. And he's like, baby, them feet. Woo! 
holy smoke. I don't know what he's saying. He's like, hey, maybe you got some clean feet. Like back in, that might not work in this day and time in 2020. But back in, it, oh, girl, you are ready to hook in a relationship. She's like, I don't care what it is. They don't compliment me. Then he moves up to her legs. And he says, man, they're like jewels. Can I tell you a secret? You want to know about my game? I got Christine. How'd I get you, baby? Complimenting her legs. We were messaging back and forth. She was walking into Target. She said, this guy was just really inappropriate to me. He said something about my legs. If I die, just know I was walking into Target. I said, note to self, careful how I compliment your legs. She responds back, throwing that heat. You don't got to throw compliments. Boom. It was on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> he moves from her legs. He says, this is my favorite part. Look what he's, flip that next verse up there. He says, your navel, he done worked up to here now. He says, like a rounded goblet. Like, I guess that must have been a big deal to have like a perfectly circular navel. navel. I'm not a navel person. I don't check out. Like, they're gross to me. My, my navel has lit in it and all kinds of stuff. But like, he's working his way up and he's like, that navel. He said, never, like, like, I think he wants to drink wine from her navel. That's what it says. It's like a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. I don't even know what this means, but he says, your waist is a mound of wheat. Now, listen, we got to make these compliments a little 2020, okay? Not BC 750. Of wheat encircled. By the lilies. I mean, this guy, are you hearing what he's saying to his woman? He said her navel, baby, your navel is so round. <laughs> I guess that was a big deal back then. See, but this is how my mind works. I don't think he cares about the shape of the navel. He's like, I want to drink wine from it. He said, that sounds disgusting. Not to your husband. And guess what, guys? Compliment her, you might get to drink wine from her navel. <laughs> and then he says, that waist girl. Now, she, I, I got to be careful here. I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, it's like a mound of wheat. I Googled some pictures of mounds of wheat. So she wasn't the skinniest little thing. He liked them thick. I mean, listen, what's else? She wasn't a size two, but she can shake it like you wanted to. Hey, listen. He's like, baby, I like it. He wasn't saying it was a negative thing. He was saying, I like that thickness, girl. Kim Kardashian ain't got nothing on you. Man, he is just pouring into her. The next verse, he goes into like typical man. Verse three, he says, your breast are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Typical guy. We're going to get to the boobs quick. He said, I can't believe her talking about her. I'm trying to help you today. If you want something deep, go somewhere else. I'm cool. I'll help you find a place. I'm just trying to help you. Here's my favorite part, though. I don't know if this was a rarity back in the biblical days because I could not find anything on it. But he emphasizes that she has two boobs. So I don't know if back in the day that was a rarity for him to have two boobs. Like, I don't, I don't know if there was like some disease that made a boob fall off. He seems really impressed that there are two of them. And he was really impressed that apparently they're like twins. They were the same. I don't want to get into my boob viewing in the past. But most of the time, I think they look the same. Oh, they ain't? Oh. I'm a guy, I'm like boobs. David, help me out here. Say amen. Man, like he is like two boobs. Here's, I, this is in the Bible. He is complimenting her. I'm not 
not trying to be sexist. I'm not trying to be a pig. Man, this lady had a rack, and he wants her to know, bam! Baby, you are fine like wine. I want you to notice something about these compliments, though. They're very specific compliments. He's not just thinking positive things about her. He's blessing her by saying them. We're so vague in our compliment. Can I tell you the most vague compliment we give people? Our spouse. I love you. What do you love about me? I mean, I love you because you're so blank. I, I love you because you make me a better person. I love you because you support me in everything I do. I love you because you calm me. I mean, he's specific in his compliments. When you think something good about your spouse, you want your marriage to get back to the way it should be, say it. It'll be a cold day in hell before somebody out compliments my wife over me. We went out last night. Here feels bad. I'm not stupid. My wife's up there dancing and doing whatever, shaking that thing, whatever it is. You don't think I don't see guys, you get mad? I don't care. There ain't a guy in there that's going to out-compliment her. She ain't going to be shocked if they say something nice to her because she hears it at the house. Let me tell you why so many of your wives just clench on to someone else's compliment because you're not giving them compliments. Hey, ladies, that applies to the men too. We like compliments. Baby, your belly's like a big soft pillow that I just want to lay my head on. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm realistic in my, my compliments. You know, I mean, I, I, I understand what it is. Okay? Hey, that dad bod. Whoo! They should call it the Gary bod. You know, I, I get it. I ain't asking. I ain't, I ain't asking her to look at me and be like, man, that six-pack. And I'm like, you know, I get it. I get it. We just got to learn to compliment. Hmm. We need to make sure our spouse knows how we feel about them. I don't need compliments. Talk is cheap hogwash. You convince yourself you don't need compliments. You convince yourself you don't crave that. I don't know anybody in the world who doesn't crave being built up verbally by somebody else. We've got to learn to do that. And here's the problem. When we don't say something good, by human nature, our instinct, when we don't hear things that are good about us, our instinct is naturally to think the person must think something negative about us. Have you ever done something like clean the whole, whole house or do something or cook a great dinner or do something like that and they never compliment? They don't say anything bad about it. They just don't mention it. What's your first instinct? Did you not like dinner? Oh, did you not notice I cleaned the house? You know? You sit down at the table Whoever, male or female, they've, they've cooked this nice meal. And you're like, cooking stuff in your face. You never stop and thank them for cooking it. Tell them how good it is. And we're like, what's the deal? It's because they didn't say something positive to us. He keeps on in verse 4. Look at him. He says, your neck is like an ivory tower. He said, I like that long neck, baby. Mm. Bam, girl. He says, your eyes or the pool of Hishimbam by the gate of Beth Rabin. He says, you're, he's up to the nose now. Like when you're breaking down her nose, or a player, baby, that nose. Mm. He says, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. I don't even know what that means. But she dug it. Your head crowns you like my caramel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. God, you know why he's getting bam chicka wow wow? Because he saw something good and he's saying it. There's power in words. Your head crowns like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by his tresses. He's like, I'm the ruler of the roost and I'm captivated by you. 
He says, how beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Man, this has to be the most confident woman in all the world. Because her man let her know what he was thinking. If you think something good, say it. Bless them with them. Build them up. Because if you don't, somebody else will. Now, he's about to take it to a whole nother level. Y'all think, man, this dude's a pimp now. He is about to go in for the kill. Again, B-I-B-L-E right here. It's the book for me. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Your stature is that of the palm in your breath. He's back to the bo- Like, that's a man. We back to the boobs. You know? Your breasts are like clusters of fruit. Look what he says. He said, I will climb the palm tree. And I will take hold of its fruit. Y'all have a good day. I'll see y'all next week. This man has so much confidence. He's been building her up and building her up and building her up and building her up. And he said, I'm about to mount that tree. He knows she, now let me tell you something. Let me make a suggestion. You got about a 50-50 shot with that one. I'm just saying. But he knows I have poured into her. When was the last time you poured verbally into your spouse? They don't hear it. They don't receive it. Keep doing it. But they don't do it. We're not talking about them. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. We're responsible for our actions. And when you say, see something good, say it to them. Build them up. I don't care. Listen, you want your, you want your husband to be the spiritual leader of the home, and he ain't done anything spiritual all the way till Thanksgiving. He says a 30-second prayer at Thanksgiving. You look at him and say, baby, that was the most powerful prayer you've ever said. You pour into him. Men, you come home every day and she's in her team building from 1932 or 1982 um, work where they had a picnic and gave her a big old t-shirt and you ain't seen her in anything but granny panties and her hair fixed in the 10 years you've been married. But you come home and for once, she ain't got that shirt on. Her pants and her bottoms actually match. Now, not because you're about to get any. She just decided, man, I want to match today. You build her up. You pour truth into her. You let her know how much you love her. He said, I'm about to mount that tree. Now listen, before you approach your spouse and say, I'm about to mount that tree, I would encourage you to let the Spirit guide you. (laughs) Now listen, for this player, it worked. Look what she says. This is the first time she comes back and talks. She said, I belong to my beloved and his desire." Is for me. Man. That's kind of almost like, like that word in the Hebrew, his desire, it's almost like a roar. And she's like, that roar is for me. I can just picture it like on the nature channel when the animals roar with passion. And she said, that desire is for me. He's pursuing me. She doesn't feel used. Man, you come home and you are so unromantic and you want her to get in the bedroom and do whatever. Or ladies, man, you're just as bad. And, and, and you wonder why there's no chemistry and why there's no passion because you're not putting anything into it. He's given life to the good things in her life. I just don't see a lot of good things in them. I get it. And I'll make this very clear to you. I'm not asking you to lie. But when you see the good things, even the good things they should do because it's just what they should do. Try pouring truth into them. Try being positive to them. They're just going to roll their eyes. They're not going to take it. Who cares? Just keep on. Just keep on. And just keep on. Christine and I both in our marriage have been to places where one of us were doing that and the other one was in no place to receive it. And we both kept on. And we both kept on. And you get to a place where you're willing to receive it. You keep on. 
if your marriage is worth having. And there was a time in your life it was worth having. But they're this and they're that. I get it. I'm not even arguing with you. They probably are that. I get it. But I've been that too. And she's been that too. And you've been that too. It takes both to make a marriage work. It does. It does. But it takes somebody getting off that crazy cycle and breaking that chain. And it might not happen in a week and it might not happen in a month and it might not even happen in a year. But you keep on. You at least get to the point where if, God forbid, your marriage comes to an end and that happens, you can look yourself in the mirror and know you did everything you could do. If you think something good, you're going to say it. If you think something special, you're going to do it. If you think something special, you're going to do it. I want to break this down into Two very specific acts. The first one, we're going to call purposeful time. You want your marriage to stand the test of time, there better be purposeful time in your marriage. If you think about going somewhere with your spouse or doing something with your spouse, then do it. Don't think about doing it. Don't come up with excuses on why you can't do it. Make it a priority to do it. Look what Song of Solomon, he says, Come, my beloved. Let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. For whatever reason, I don't know what's going on. He's like, man, we need to get away for the night. We need to get away for the day. He doesn't have the thought. He says, let's get away. Well, I can't afford to get away. It's not what you do. It's the time that's put into you doing it. He's telling her, hey, let's go to this great bed and breakfast. Let's go get a hotel room. Let's just spend some time together. Let's go on a getaway where, where there's just... Hey, parents, I'll tell you an amazing thing. You can get away for the night without your kids. If you can't get away without your kids, you're parenting wrong. If that hurts your feelings, it hurts your feelings. If your kids can't function one night without you, then you've done parenting thing wrong. Because your goal in the end is to raise your kids to leave. Excuses, excuses, excuses. I would encourage every single person here, at least, I get you can't do this, but at least once a year you need to get away together. Overnight, someone will watch your kids. If they won't watch your kids, teach the dog how to watch them and keep them safe for the night. They ain't going to starve to death overnight, okay? You'll be fine. You're going to come up with all the reasons you can't do it. And, and here's the best reason you can't do it. You can't afford it. Okay. Can I give you a little bit of advice? That $100 hotel room and that $35 dinner is a whole lot cheaper than that $3,000 retainer to the lawyer when it's time for a divorce. Say, so how do you know it's $3,000? Been there. Done that, got the scars to prove it. You got money for what you want money for. Literally, literally. I don't know if God knew I needed this example. Had a guy the other day talking about him and his spouse. I said, Man, y'all need to go on a date. We can't afford to go on a date. I get on Facebook last night, and his post is, Doing something I've never done before. So excited about this fight, and I just got the pay per view. That pay per view was $65. It lasted 40 seconds. Kind of like some of y'all sex lives. Just saying. That $65 would have been a whole lot more fun and probably at least lasted 47 seconds had he took his spouse away for the night. Life is chaotic. Christine, I have a chaotic life, an insane life. 
we have ministry and businesses, and she travels for her work, and we have four kids that are ours, and she brings home stray kids all the time that aren't ours, and we get responsibility of raising them, and life can get crazy. But we do what we can, when we can, to make sure we can go off together. Last night, we knew that we wanted to go have dinner together. We knew the older kids would be fine. We knew we couldn't leave the demon with them. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say that? So we just decided, you know what the demon's going to do? She's going to bed early tonight. Guess what? She ain't taking a nap today. Because if she don't take a nap today, she's going to want to go to bed early. The kids can handle her while she's in bed sleeping somewhat. We were intentional about it. We made purposeful time. We went out to eat. Kylie and Betty's our friends. We went to a restaurant to always go with them. And last night, Kylie's like, where'd y'all go eat tonight? I didn't want to tell him. He said, oh, I didn't get a phone call. I looked at him and I said, yeah, man, we ain't been off together in a long time. We need some time. You know what he said? I get that. I love Kylie and Betty. We went out with Kylie and Betty after we went out to eat. I didn't want to go eat with Kylie and Betty. I wanted to go eat with my wife with no one else around. We were purposeful in our time. This guy was preaching, let's go away. Some of you, you're going to learn to say no to a lot of things where you can say yes to dating your spouse or going off with your spouse and being purposeful. I want to do this with you, so we're going to go do it. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom. This is her talking, by the way. And there I will give you my love. She said, oh, we're going away on a trip. Bam, chicken, wow, wow. She said, tell you what, we're going away to the countryside of that bed and breakfast. Oh, let's go to the vineyards too. Let's get there early before anybody else is there. And she said, I'm going to give you my love there. What guy don't want to hear that? I don't even get it. Like, guys, when was the last time your wife said, come home, I want it? She said, it's been forever. Because you ain't working it like this, dude. He's telling her things that need to be told. He's taking her on trips that need to be taken. He's making her a priority in his life. Let's go to the vineyard. Let's see if things have opened up. I, I, man, I am going to, we're going to do it. I'm not as elegant as Solomon. I'm just saying that's the Gary Lamb version. Man. Now, obviously, obviously this is before Google satellite images. You don't want to be doing this stuff nowadays. Boom, it's going to end up on the internet. I get it. This is before it was illegal. I get it. My point's not to go have sex in the park. Unless you can figure out a creative way to do that. If you can, share them ideas. But I want you to see this. They were purposeful in their planning. <laughs> I mean, what a dream come true from, man, I want you. Man, it's powerful. You wanted to know you're thinking. Ladies, he wants to know you're thinking of him. You're planning, you're working, you're in purposeful time. It's amazing how much one time away can renew so much. Me and Christine the other day were talking about, we need to get away for the weekend. And all of a sudden was excuse, excuse, excuse. We said, we just need to get away for the weekend. We'll figure out how to work out. So not only purposeful time, but, but thoughtful, thoughtful acts fall in this when you want to do something special. Look what she says. The mandrakes send out their fragrance and, our, and at our doors every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. I love this. She knows they're going away. So she goes to the store and gets his favorite things for him. She says, I've been storing these up for you. I know how much you like this. Like in my world, that would be Christine being like, I know how much you love chicken wings. I got some for you. Like she did sexy things. I just want some chicken wings. She lays it out there. She went and got mandrakes. Oh, hey, mandrakes, you know, they were an aphrodisiac. If you go back and study them. She says, I know how much you like those things. She said, I've been thinking ahead. I want to make sure we have a great trip. She said, you put enough thought into us getting away, I'm going to put enough thought into making sure, boom, some things you like. Ladies, did you know that after you get married, check it out, check it out, check it out. 
Did you know you can still wear lingerie? We ain't, we ain't asking for it every night. No, I, 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 you ain't preaching. I'm preaching. I was about to get to that woman. You want to come here and preach with me? Men, they make pajamas that don't have holes all in them. Like, quit putting on the boxers with the dress socks and the wife beater shirt. It ain't sexy. Ain't it sad that our spouse, or excuse me, our work and everyone else sees us dressed up and nice and our friends, we get dressed up to go out with everybody but our spouse? It's a shame. It's a shame. We're talking about wonderful things. Last, I'm going to get done. We've got to get out of here. If you want something different, be it. You want something different for your marriage, be that something different. And, and this is where it comes to the point that it's on us. If you want something different in your relationship, don't demand your spouse be what's different. You be different. You be consistent in being different. And watch them over time soften their heart to you. You be the blessing. You serve your spouse as Christ served the church. How about this? If you don't like what you're getting in your marriage, how about you examine what you're giving in your marriage? You don't have the ability to change how they act. You can't force them to be different. But you can be different. And here's the deal. I get sometimes that's just not going to be enough. And again, I've told you sometimes marriage is just in. I'm never going to be that preacher that says you stay in a miserable marriage for your whole life. I, I, I feel like the church has lied about that subject. But can you look yourself in the mirror and know you did everything you could? You give an account for yourself. You can't change anybody else, but you can change you. You can pray for them. You can be a blessing to them. You can serve them. There's been times in our marriage where me and Christine were on the verge of it being over. There was times when I thought I wanted out, and she poured in and served, and I didn't want to hear it, and I didn't want to receive it, and I didn't respond. And there's been times in our marriage where she thought she wanted out. And I'd pour into her and serve, and she didn't want to hear it. Our marriage is where it is today, because we did those things. And it wasn't easy. <coughs> I think she would tell you it was really hard. And this is where the point where some of you will get mad at me and you won't be back and I'm okay with that. I don't want you not to come back, but if you don't come back because I give you the truth, then don't come back. And you're going to come to me and you're going to make excuses, but you don't know blah, 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 blah. And you're right, I don't know the details. And I'm not trying to minimize the details. I don't ever want to minimize the complications I understand there can be abuse, and, I, and abuse is a different situation. If you're a lady here today, and you're in an abusive marriage, get out. You need help getting out, call us. We'll help you get out. I got a group of guys that show up in two seconds and get you out. If you're a guy, and your wife beats you up, and I actually used to have a guy that I pastored, and his wife used to lock him in a room and feed him under the door and wouldn't let him out for days. Believe it or not. So I get that that happens. I'm not trying to make fun of it. I probably am going to make fun of it if you come to me about that, but we're going to help you get you out of that one too. I'm only making fun because I love you. If you want something different, be it. I get it. I understand there's deceit. I don't ever want to belittle any of that, even if your wife physically beats you up. Even though it sounds like I'm belittling it. Okay, I probably am. same time, can you stand before God and can you do what he puts on your heart to do to be different? To be special, to be a blessing. 
I can screw up some relationships. I'm good at it. I knew I wanted something different when Christine and I got together. What I've been doing wasn't working. And we've worked at our marriage. And as hard as we've worked at our marriage, it hasn't been easy. But she's decided she wanted something different, so she's different. And I decided I wanted something different, and I try to be different. <laughs> I had all these expectations of what I wanted out of a marriage, but here's the deal. I didn't put those expectations on her. I put them on me. Because I can't control her, and I can't make her. And she can't make me be something different. You've got to work in a marriage. Your marriage can be as good as you both want it to be. But get it where you both, man, I went long today, I don't care. Um, hope your crop pot was on low. I'm going to wrap it up right here, I promise. Um, but for both of you to be good, it's going to take one of you. Here's what, they do something, makes you mad, you do something, makes them mad. It's, it's, I call it the vicious, crazy cycle. Someone's got to break that cycle. Let's wrap this verse up. Song of Solomon. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. I use this in every marriage. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's home for love, it would be utterly scorned. We're responsible for our own actions. If you think something good, say it. If you think something special, do it. If you want something different, be it. There's nothing worse than being in a miserable marriage. Nothing worse than being in a miserable marriage. But I think miserable is kind of strong too. There's nothing worse than being in an average marriage. I can almost deal with miserable because at least there's the passion of fighting. And you occasionally get to make up. It's an average marriage going through the motions is miserable. Marriage is a blessing, and God gives it to us. But we got to work it. And I want to challenge some of you today. Some of you are ready to walk out. Some of you are ready to quit. I get it. Been there, done that, got it. But are you putting everything into it you can? Have you thought about the consequences of walking out? Or would you like to get a 2020 vision for your marriage?